going to be really laid back. We're going to sing songs and read some scriptures. And that's really just about it. And eat cookies and drink hot chocolate. So, I mean, like, come on, what could be better than that? So uh, the dance lab's real big. Let's pack it out. Bring your friends. There are some little postcards, actually, in the back on the welcome table. If you want to grab a few of those and just give them to some friends, um, I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. We should be about 45 minutes or so, maybe an hour at the most. It won't be very long. Okay, we are in the third week now of a series that we've been doing uh, that is a little bit of the book of Isaiah. The, they're called the servant songs in Isaiah. And let me just give you a little bit of background if you're just joining us. Uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying to the people of Judah, and they have been taken into exile in Babylon. Okay, This is 500 years before Jesus was born. And he prophesies and says a few things. He says, first of all, there's a good reason why you've been taken into exile, and it's because of what you've done. It's not because of the Lord's unfaithfulness, but because of your unfaithfulness. But the message that keeps getting repeated is that it's not the end of the story, is that God is going to do something. And as we're reading these prophecies uh, of Isaiah, there's this figure that kind of comes to the forefront, and he is called the servant of the Lord. And he is the Messiah, the king, the one who is going to come and rescue his people. And we know this now, but not just from bondage in, in, uh, in Babylon, but actually from the bondage of sin and death. And we get to look on this side of the New Testament now and see that that is Jesus. This person, this servant, this Messiah is the one that we know to be Jesus. And so Isaiah is kind of like outlining a picture for us. He's, he's sketching it a little bit, that as we open the pages of the New Testament, it gets filled in, and we get to see the fullness of who it is. It's Jesus. But we see the sketches here 500 years before. The servant of the Lord who has come to save his people. And what we've been focusing on really are, are two kind of things. And any time we talk about Jesus, really these two, these two things are present. Is that we want to know who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That is the primary thing. Is that we want to know who he is and what he has done that has saved us from our sins and brought us near to God. It's something that we could not do on our own. But in response to that, we also want to know who Jesus is so that we can follow him. So that we can actually look like him, act like him. That we as his people can be Christ-like. That's what we're going to focus our attention on today. So if you've got your Bible, you can open it up to Isaiah chapter 50. It's also printed in your bulletin if you want to follow along there. I'll be reading verses 4 through 9. And this is the servant of the Lord speaking. This is the Messiah speaking, so we're getting it first person here. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we do uh, thank you for your word. As we come and we gather before you, uh, 
to sing wonderful songs about your first coming. Lord, it is also with your second coming in mind that we open the pages of Scripture and we say, Jesus, come quickly. Renew all things. And renew our hearts even now, Lord, that we might be those who minister to the world around us and to those in our midst with the same kind of mercy and grace and sacrifice that you have ministered to us. Lord, will you open your word to us now and open my mouth that it will declare your praise. Let it be fitting and pleasing in your sight. Let the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if I asked you, um, if I kind of took a poll and said, how do you, how are you? How are you this kind of Christmas tide, this Advent season, this December? How are you? My guess is, if we counted all of those responses, number one on the list of responses would be busy. We are busy. That is oftentimes the answer you get, right? When you say, how's it going these days? Busy, really busy. And then if I followed that up and I said, how are you feeling these days? My guess is the number one response would be tired. We're busy and we're tired. And of course, there's a correlation, right? Uh, When we are busy, we become tired. The word that the scripture here uses is weary. That may strike a chord with you, that you are just feeling weary. Our busyness makes us weary. I mean, look, look down at your bulletin for just a second. Just just look down at the page. It doesn't matter which page you're on. And I just want you to notice something about our bulletin. In any, any printed page you find, the majority of that page is not printed on. It's what designers call white space. And it's the white space that actually makes the printed part make sense to us. If the page were just filled with words and illustrations and everything else, we would have a hard time actually understanding it. Our, our brains couldn't really get around it very well. What makes it beautiful and actually makes sense and functional is the white space, the space. Our lives are like that too, aren't they? Where we fill them sometimes to the edges, we we fill all of the margins, and then we feel overwhelmed. We feel weary. We feel tired. Now, we can feel weary because of other things too. Uh, Fear wearies us. The fear maybe of what's next in my life. Are we going to make that move? Am I going to take that job? Am I ever going to get married? Is the Lord going to give me a child? The fear of what next, of what's next can weary us. It can be tiresome. Maybe it's our own activity, uh, the struggle with our own sin that is wearisome to us. This realization that, you know what? I'm not sure I'm ever going to be somebody different than who I am. And I don't like who I am. That thought can beat you down. Maybe it's even the actions of another, the choices of somebody else that is wearisome. If you have adult children that have kind of gone off the rails or maybe their family life is in shambles, you take that on too, don't you? It is wearisome to you, even the choices that others make that affect you. And we can live these really weary lives. Now, here's kind of the catch and maybe uh, the worst part about it is that when we are busy and tired, when we are weary, we also have very little capacity to sustain others who are weary. Isn't that right? When we are those who are beaten down and tired and weary and busy, we have very little capacity to help and minister to and sustain others when they are weary. 
there's this uh, seminal psychological um, research study that was done at Princeton Seminary in the 70s. And this is what the researchers did. They, they found these group of students, seminarians. They didn't tell them they were being researched. And they divided them up into two groups. They said, okay, we want this group to, to take some time. Your project that you've got to present on is to, to tell your audience all of the jobs that can be had with a seminary degree. Which, by the way, is very few. Um, and then the second group, they said, okay, your job is to study the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then you're going to teach your audience on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Two groups there. Then they took each of these groups, the second step, and they divided them each into subgroups. And they said, all right, this subgroup, you have, you have a good amount of time. You have the rest of the day you can work on this. If the presentation's not until tomorrow. The other group, they said, guess what? You've got 15 minutes. You've got 15 minutes. You're in a hurry. You've got to present this really soon. And they did that with both groups. And then what they did, see if you can still follow me here, they, they, they planted a man in an outside hallway right outside of the classrooms. A man who was unshaven, who was slovenly dressed, who kind of smelled bad, who was very underdressed for, uh, for the New Jersey winter weather. And he was kind of slumped down against the wall and coughing and laid over. He, was, he looked like he was very sick. And then they opened up the doors of the classrooms, both of these groups, and they let them out and they watched as each one of them passed by this man who looked like he really needed a lot of help. And they counted, who stopped for help? Who stopped to help this man who's kind of like the man on the side of the road, right, in the Good Samaritan parable? Surely it was these people who just studied that parable, right? Well, guess what? They found one correlation in that study. There was no correlation between the people who had studied the parable of the Good Samaritan and those who had talked about what jobs you could get. There's no correlation on who ended up stopping and helping this man. The one correlation they found was that all of the ones that they told that they were in a hurry, none of them stopped. The only correlation was that those who thought that their lives were busy, that they were in a hurry to go somewhere, had completely pushed out anybody else in their lives. And there was no room for them to minister to another. Now, it is our desire to be a church that, in the words of Isaiah here, has a word that sustains the weary. It is our desire to be a church that sustains weary people. And I don't just mean on Sunday mornings. I don't just mean you come to church and you kind of check out of regular life and you get this little break and then you go back to the normal life and you've got this completely divided kind of sense of your life. That's not what I mean. Although we certainly do want our worship service to show the rest of Jesus and to provide rest for us. But what I mean is that we want to be a people who are able to sustain the weary among us. Who are able to sustain the tired folks that are sitting next to you in these chairs. And who are sent out to sustain your weary neighbors and a weary city and a weary world. That is the job actually of the church. That we take up this role of sustaining the weary. So how do we do this? That's what we're going to spend our time with this morning. How do we go about sustaining weary people around us? And you can just even, uh, you can insert, instead of sustaining the weary, we're just talking about ministry. Like, what does it look like to minister to the people around you? And here are kind of three ways that we're going to look at it. The first is it takes daily connection to the Lord, daily connection to our Heavenly Father. The second is it takes determined sacrifice. And then it also takes confidence in the Lord's work. Okay? Daily connection to the Lord, determined sacrifice, and confidence in the Lord's work. And before we jump into that, let me just uh, say, 
you may have already noticed this, but none of those three categories have anything to do with the particular words that we say to people in the time of need. Did you get that? Abraham Lincoln said, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. We're talking about sharpening the axe this morning. We're talking about the time that we actually spend to prepare, not the time actually that's in the midst of the activity of sustaining somebody who is weary, but what it takes to be the kind of character and heart and mentality to be able to do so. All right, let's jump into that. This first bit, this idea of daily connection to the Lord. Look at verse 4 again. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. There's kind of our our general theme right there in the middle. A word to sustain those who are weary. But did you hear what surrounds that? The sandwich kind of in that verse are these two things. The Lord has given me a tongue of those who are taught. Morning by morning the Lord awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. What does it take to actually speak words that sustain weary people? It takes listening. It takes opening our ears well before we open our mouths. To actually hear what the Lord has to say to us. To hear over and over consistently and ongoingly what the Lord says is true and right. It takes daily, regular connection with our Father in order for us to be able to be those who can minister to others. Now, again, if you didn't hear me before, let me just connect the dots uh, one more time. We're talking about Jesus here. The servant that uh, is proclaimed in Isaiah is the Messiah. We know that to be who Jesus is. And the words that we're getting are are really Jesus speaking 500 years before his birth. And what Jesus is saying is that the Lord has given him a tongue as those who are taught. A well-instructed tongue, I think, is the way that the NIV puts it. And he is saying that the Lord awakens his ear morning by morning to be one who is taught. Friends, this is kind of an odd concept, I think, for us sometimes. This idea that Jesus actually needed connection with the Father in order to go about his work of ministry. That Jesus needed instruction from his Father in order to be able to speak the words that sustain the weary. Uh, maybe you saw that quote. It's at the beginning of your, um, uh, the, the very first page of your bulletin there. Paul Miller says this. Jesus was uh, by far the most dependent human being that's ever lived. Does that strike you as odd? Jesus was the most dependent human being that's ever lived because he is always relying on his connection with his father. He prays, he prays, he prays, he prays. And we see that all throughout his life. He is daily connected with the father. Okay. Here's my point. If Jesus needed connection with his father in order to go about the work of ministry that he was called to, how much more so do we? If Jesus needed daily and regular connection with his father, how much more so do we need that connection if we are going to be those who minister to those around us? Let's just kind of break this down into really practical steps here. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about something that's actually really easy to say and really hard to do. And it's simply this. Read our Bibles more and pray more. That's how we connect to our Heavenly Father. We read the word that he has given us. We take in his word. We feed upon it. And we pray. 
We've talked about this before. The way that you're going to grow is uh, uh, WWPP, right? Word, worship, prayer, and people. That's how God has given It's what God has given to us to grow as Christians. And just two of those, word and prayer. What if we as a people decided, and here's a challenge for us. And when I say us, I really do mean us because I struggle with this as much as you do. What if we as a people decided we're going to spend 15 minutes a day reading the Bible and praying. What if each one of us took that challenge? 15 minutes a day in God's word and in prayer. That's not much time. But you know, even if you did that just five days a week, over the course of a year, that's 3,900 hours. 3,900 minutes, excuse me, 65 hours. 65 hours is pretty substantial. That's a lot of time. Now, I know many of you already do this. I know many of you already do this and more. What if we all, what if our church looked like that? What if our church was committed to spending even just a little bit of time in God's word every day? Jesus says morning by morning. It can be in the morning if that works for you, but you know what? Just make it work for you. There's no rule that says it has to be in the morning. Connect with God in his word and connect with him in prayer. And that's going to be a really big first step to us becoming a church who's able to sustain the weary among us. That's the first kind of part. How about the second part? Determined sacrifice. It takes not only daily connection with the Father, but also determined sacrifice. Now, what do I mean by that? And this is where I think it's really exciting. Look at verse, look at verse 7. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. A flint is a stone, right? It's a rock. Setting your face like a flint means it's setting it in stone. It's determined, right? It's, it's going to find what it's looking for. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who's my adversary? Let him come near me. Now, listen, if your conception of Jesus right now is the picture of him kind of in a field with a lot of lilies and some fawns and some sheep gathered around him, then this is, this is going to be odd for you. Because the picture that Isaiah is painting for us, listen, listen to the way that the servant speaks here. He says, who's my adversary? Let him come near me. Who's the one who's going to stand up against me? Let's stand together and see how that goes. Jesus is taunting here. Okay? Jesus is saying, if you really think you can come and stand against me, let's take it outside and see how that goes. Right? You know that, that, uh, that scene that's in every action movie? There's a rule, I think, in Hollywood that if you don't have this scene in it, it just, you can't get it produced. You can't get this produced. Because it's in every movie. You've seen it a thousand times. It's kind of early on in the movie, maybe like 10, 15 minutes into the movie. And it's the first real fight scene between the main character and like some guy who looks like he could lift up a house and throw it away. And he's got missing teeth. and He looks really ugly and he grunts a lot. He doesn't really say anything. Okay, so the fight comes and they've started. They've exchanged a few little glancing blows. And then the big ugly guy just lands a big, big one right on the mouth of the, of the main character. And it kind of like he steps back a little bit. It knocks him down. And then he kind of, he tastes the blood in his lip. You know, you know where I'm going here. And he does this. He, he, wipes, his, he wipes his face and he, and he looks at the blood. And then he kind of, you know, does that, right? And then you know it's on. He's, you know, it's ready. He's ready. That's the picture we're getting of Jesus, okay? It's Jesus taunting his enemies. It's Jesus saying, I have the steely determination of, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger to take over what is mine. But look how amazing this is. This is what's so fun is the combination here that is so surprising. Just a verse before that, listen to what Isaiah says. The Lord, the Lord has opened my ear. 
I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and from spitting. An incredible combination. The steely determination there in that taunt that he gives, but then this incredible humble sacrifice. That Jesus is saying, you want my back? Here it is. I'll take my shirt off for you. You want my cheek? Here it is. Pull my beard. You want to disgrace me? You want to spit on me? Here I am. I'm humble. I'm here actually for sacrifice. That combination is incredible. Is steely determination to actually achieve the mission that God has given him. And at the same time, this deep sacrifice. Friends, we need that same combination if we are going to minister to others. If we are going to be those who can offer a word that sustains the weary, that's actually what we need. Is determined sacrifice. To be in it for the long haul and in it knowing that the long haul is probably going to mean that we're going to take some punches. To be in it with another in a way that says, I'm going to continually offer myself to you. I'm going to continually lay myself down and I'm going to not stop. That is determined sacrifice. Now, let's just be really honest. Does that mean that it's going to cost us? Yes, it is going to cost us money, time, energy, our own honor. The achievement of many of our dreams. Friends, that is the joy actually to which we have been called to follow in the steps of our master. To follow in his steps to lay ourselves down for others like he has done for us. So that they might be sustained when they are weary. Alright, let's look at the third piece here. Confidence in God's work. Just listen, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but starting at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught... Skipping down, morning by morning, he awakens my ear. Verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear. Verse 7, the Lord God helps me. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Who is my adversary? Verse 9, behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Do you hear that over and over? What the servant is saying is, it's God who helps me. It's God who is steadfast. It's God who is powerful. Four times we get this repeated refrain, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. If you're looking at it and it's printed with small caps, that word Lord is the translation of the word Yahweh, which is God's covenantal name that he revealed to Moses. It's the name that he said, this is what my people are going to call me. And what's wrapped up in that is not only have I created you and all things, but I have made myself yours. I'm your personal covenantal God. Who promises to be with you. And that's what the servant says over and over and over is his confidence. It's the Lord God. It's not himself even. And get this too. We oftentimes talk about, when we talk about faith, we talk about it even in these words. We say, you know, um, he or she really has great faith. That, that is a man or woman of really big faith. Their faith is so strong. It is so wonderful. And we talk in those terms. I'm not sure those terms are very helpful. Because all throughout the Bible, we hear that it's actually not the amount of faith or the greatness of our faith or even the steadfastness of our faith that matters. It is actually the object of our faith that matters. Jesus tells his disciples, you can have faith as small as a mustard seed. That's this small. 
Because it's not the size of your faith, it's actually the size and the might of the God in whom your faith is found. You know, if you had tuberculosis and your doctor prescribed you penicillin, you can have a lot of faith in your doctor. You can have a lot of faith in that pill. You can really believe with your whole heart that it's going to do you good. But you know what? If you keep taking penicillin, you will die. Because penicillin does not treat tuberculosis. It is not the faith that you have. It is the object of your faith that is strong. And what the servant is proclaiming for us here, it is the Lord God. Over and over and over, it is the Lord God, his might, his power, his faithfulness to us that we get to put our confidence in. Let's close uh, with this. God has called us to sustain others in ministry, to, to, to minister to others, to sustain people, those who are weary. We want our church to be that kind of church, okay? But here's the thing, is that you will never actually be able to sustain another if you are not yourself sustained by Jesus. Okay? That is the foundation, really, of this passage, is that there is no way for us to sustain others in ministry if we are not sustained by Jesus himself. Otherwise, it just becomes a list of to-dos. Right? Otherwise, if we stopped here, it'd be like, yeah, that's great. Thanks, preacher, for giving me another list of things that I've got to do to make me more busy this season. That's not what it's about. In fact, actually, every other system, every other religious system of thought in the world is actually about a list of to-dos. Here are the things that you need to do in order to make yourself right so that you can be one with God, so that you can achieve either some sort of nirvana or you can get into heaven or you can have a right relationship, whatever it is. That's not the gospel, friends. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus has actually done what we can't do. And it's in feeding on what he has done that he enables us to minister to others. Listen how how wonderful this is, right? That, That what Jesus has done is he has set his face like a flint, like a stone, but he set it toward the cross. He has set his face like flint to go to the cross so that we might actually be removed of the burden of sin and death so that we might be removed of the burden of having to be righteous enough to to fall uh, to to make it into god's good graces he has set his face like flint so that we don't have to do with that jesus has actually uh, uh given his back we see here to those who strike quite literally my son was telling me they just in school recently watched The Passion of the Christ. If you've seen that movie, you've seen a visual artistic representation of what Jesus went through. That he literally gave his back to those who would strike him on it. So that you and I would not have to receive that kind of punishment. We read here in verse 7, Jesus says, I know I will not be put to shame. But guess what? Jesus was put to shame. So that you and I could actually have our shame removed. So that we could have our sin and shame taken. Jesus says here in verse 9, who will declare me guilty? But Jesus was declared guilty so that you and I might be declared righteous. So that you and I might be given rest. So that those of us who are weary, and that's all of us, by the way, wearied by not just the busyness of our lives, but wearied by our own sin, might actually find rest in Christ and so even as, even as we sustain those who are weary, we get to rest in what Jesus has done. 
It's amazing how actually that works out. It's a different kind of equation than we're used to. We busy ourselves and it drains us. But actually, we pour ourselves out for others and we were connected to Jesus. It doesn't drain us because we are continually filled. If we are those who are, need to be sustained, connected to Christ, then we might actually be able to sustain others. Let me just kind of close with this question for us. Is the busyness of this season keeping you from sustaining those who are weary? Or are you being sustained by Christ? And is he using you then to pour yourself out for others? To minister to the world? To proclaim the good, sustaining rest that Jesus offers? Let's pray that he would enable us to do that even today. Our Father and Lord, um, what a, uh, a challenge it is to come and to, to hear this call for us to actually be like Jesus in some way, it just feels so daunting. It feels, um, it feels so impossible. And Lord, it is impossible unless you work in us. Unless your spirit is at work in us, there is no good that we can do on our own. And all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. But Lord, when you come and you fill us with your goodness, when you forgive us, when you set us right, when you make us your own, when you unite us to Christ, it is incredible what you can do. To be able to use us to pour out to others. To sustain those who are weary. So Lord, we ask that you would do both of those things today. Attach us more deeply to Jesus who sustains us. And pour us out that we might sustain others. We pray all of this.